Storehouse Dallas. All right, turn with me to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. And um, that, that was my introduction. Good. Everyone doing well? Let's give the worship team a hand. That was amazing. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. Father, we ask you right now to set this room apart. We ask you to set this property apart. We declare the blood of Jesus over this place. And Father, we thank you, God. We thank you that you use these, these things, but we say, God, we're here for an audience of one. And God, I just declare right now that Jesus Christ is enthroned far above every other power, every other name, every other name. We declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we declare the supremacy and the preeminence of Christ Jesus. We declare that you are enthroned far above every principality, ruler, and dominion. We declare that you have the name that is above every name. We just pray for the release of angelic ministry in this place, all around this region. And Father, we just declare Psalm 24 over Dallas. Open up you gates. Be lifted up you everlasting doors. King of glory, come in. We declare the release of the revelation of Jesus into Dallas, Fort Worth. That you would break into this region with light and life and love and power. Father, we pray that you would awaken your church in this hour. God, I ask you to awaken intercessors in this city. Awaken the church in this city. Awaken pastors in this city. Father, we ask you to break down the territorial walls and begin to release a unity movement. Father, we ask you to do it right now and do it in this season, Jesus. We bless you. We honor you. And we say, Lord, have your way. Have your way. I want, I want you just to stand right now. I just want to take about just about two minutes and just pray in the spirit and ask the Lord to come and meet us. I feel like this conference is going to be strategic weekend. Come on. Stir the spirit of God. We thank you that you're here and all that you're doing. We call forth the full plans and dreams of your heart for this people. Come on, come on. The Bible says that when we, we pray in the spirit that we speak mysteries, it stirs the spirit of prophecy. Thank you, Jesus. 30 seconds. Come on. Shata ya rabba shoto ya rabba kaye. Father, I pray for every person in this room and for those that are viewing. God, I pray that you would break in with light, break in with the spirit of revelation, Father. Father, I pray that you would equip us on how to ascend above the storms, to lock eyes with you and to walk into our inheritance. Father, we ask you to carry us on over into this next season. Take us forward into the purposes of God. All of us, God, I pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you. 
And we honor you. And Father, we just ask you to release the spirit of prophecy in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Give the Lord a hand. Good. Awesome. Awesome. Just like to do that. I, I lead a group. I'm training third and fourth year students, and we spend Tuesdays and Thursday mornings from 9 a.m. to 9.30, and we just pray in tongues. And I want to encourage you guys. It's not where I'm going tonight, but I want to say to you that nothing, I would say meditation in the Word, praying in tongues, and fasting have been the three greatest catalysts to my spiritual life. And I want to say that we need to break off apathy and lethargy, and we need to get mighty in our spirits, okay? Many of us don't even understand that shift. But when you get addicted to the shift, you can never go back to Christianity as normal. We must learn how to ascend above the storms of life. Get above the clouds so we can lock eyes with the one who is seated on the throne. It says in Psalm 29 that he sat enthroned at the flood and he sits as king forever. He's sitting on the throne above the storms we go through. Good. Well, I want to look at Psalm 1 and 2. And uh, I'm going to preach to you a message that the Lord gripped me with in 2014, but I'm feeling specifically that my story and your story are coinciding and that there's a weaving and the, uh, the word actually is the word inheritance. And, um, but I, I want to look at Psalm 1 and I want to talk to you about the revelation of intercession, Psalm 1. I want to look at Psalm 1 and 2. Good. Blessed is the man or the woman. <laughs> who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, okay? But his delight, everybody say his delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. What's going to be the fourfold blessing upon the person that does this? Number one, he shall be like a tree, all right? Planted by the rivers of water. Number two, that brings forth its fruit in its season. The actual translation is it will bring forth fruit in every season. Number three, its leaf will not wither, which means the ability to be fruitful in every season. And number four, whatever he does shall prosper. Who wants that blessing? We talk about trees. Desires fulfilled is a tree of life. I'm going to get to Psalm 2 here in a second, but I want to root Psalm 2 in Psalm 1 because David is saying there is a blessing upon the man, the woman, the young person that makes conscious decisions about the people that they're walking with, the conversations they're engaging with, the value system that they're surrounded by because whatever you're walking with today, you'll be standing in tomorrow and you'll be sitting in full agreement the next day. It is the slow progression of a heart who is caught in the value system and the conversation piece of the spirit of this age. And he says, blessed are you if you make concrete decisions about who you run with, what you listen to, and what you talk about. Because there are two conversations that are seeking for your attention. There are two value systems that are seeking to steal your gaze. And the psalmist says, blessed are you if you're not found over here, but you're found in another conversation? He says, blessed are you if you, your delight, everybody say that word again, say delight. Which means this, God wants to bring us into a place of pleasure in the word of God. I want to say this to you, your inheritance is pleasure when you read the Bible. I got two amens. That's a miracle. Because most of us think Bible, you think boring. And I'm here to tell you, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. That word meditate literally means to ponder while speaking to oneself. I want to tell you right now that the words that will change you the most will be your own. That when the words get off the pages and get into your mouth, that's when you are transformed the most. And no matter who preaches this weekend, it will be nothing compared to you hearing you declare God's word to God. Corey Russell's words will not transform you the most. 
Tracy Eckhart, John Eckhart, whoever's preaching this weekend, their words, it's yours. And that's what he says, meditating in his law day and night. And there's a fourfold blessing. Number one, trees. If there's anything we need in this turbulent generation, we need trees. We need trees that have proved the promises of God. That have broken through the surface of surface Christianity. Have broken through the mere edges and have broken through into a root system that goes below the surface and that attracts and receives water sources under the ground. Trees, if there's anything that we need in this hour, it's trees in the body of Christ. It's trees in the midst of a dark, crooked, shaking generation. We need trees of stability, trees of shade, trees of understanding, trees of clarity, and trees full of the Holy Ghost who have tapped into the water sources under the ground. Trees who bring forth fruit in every season. Whose leaf will not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. When God says, I will co-sign any check you write. The dreams that are fulfilled of the man or the woman that gets back to the world. We need a revival in the Bible. We need a revival in the Bible. Alright? Well, what happens to people... What happens to a generation that refuses to not give themselves to meditation in the Word? I believe that Psalm 2 is a picture of what is already happening and what will happen. But for a personal level, God has used since 2014 Psalm 2. I believe Psalm 2 may be the most prophetic 12 verses for the body of Christ in this hour. I believe it's where we're at globally. I believe it's where we're at nationally. And I believe it's, I know it's where I've been personally, and I believe it's for storehouse. You see four realities in Psalm 2. David is a prophet. He got quiet in here. Good, we're going to go somewhere now. David is a prophet, so I want to talk about it first globally because it's happening, but then I want to bring it even personally. David is in a full-on encounter. David's not just some hippie with a guitar. He's a prophet. And when he would go into the tent, the tabernacle of David, and stare upon the glory, he would have visions. You've got to read the Psalms and know he saw the crucifixion of Messiah when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He saw the resurrection of Messiah when he says, You will not leave my soul in Sheol. You will show me the path of life, Psalm 16. He saw Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem when he says, Open up, you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors. King of glory, come in. But in Psalm 2, he's seeing something unprecedented, something global, and he's seeing a global, unified conspiracy of the nations against the Father and the Son. It's very intense, and that's why the first words out of David's mouth is, Why? It doesn't make sense. It's insanity. It's global insanity. And it's a bunch of people that are building a sandcastle, and the Father's about to release a wave to take it down in a second. There's four parts of Psalm 2. You need to get this. Four parts of Psalm 2. And each scene of this four-part drama has three verses. Each, uh, each actor in the drama gets four ver- uh, three verses. In the first scene, we're going to see the kings of the earth and the judges of the earth. We're going to see the nations. In the second scene, we will see the Father. In the third scene, we will see the Son and His church. And the fourth scene, we will see David releasing the spirit of prophecy. Here's my titles over each one. The nation's rage, the Father's confidence, the Son's intercession, and David prophesying the prophetic church. And that's what was hitting me when you said that earlier about prayer birthing prophecy That's what David ends Psalm 2 with. David is seeing a day come when all nations, the kings, the players, the judges, the major players of nations are declaring open war on God, His Son, and the authority of the Word of God. David is seeing this. It's unprecedented. It's global. And it's, this is ultimately about Jesus' inheritance. 
Psalm 2 is about the plan of the Father to give all nations to His Son from the city of Jerusalem and that He has promised His Son that plot of land. And what we're seeing in Psalm 2 is that the devil knows what the Father has promised to the Son Therefore, all of the end-time storyline is Satan's final attempt to steal from Jesus his promised inheritance from the Father. So this is about the stealing of inheritance. This is about the conspiring against inheritance. This is about Satan's final attempt to steal. But I want to say something to you right now. That though this is going to happen before the Lord returns in its fullness, the spirit of Psalm 2, 1 through 3, is alive and well in the nations of the earth right now. We are seeing a generation that is saying it's time to get rid of the old guy. It's time to get rid of the old book to throw off the bonds and the cords and we get liberated into self-expression. The bonds and the cords of God's word. You will either see God's word as loving boundary lines or you will see them as bonds and cords that restrict you from your pleasure. And David goes, why? It's not going to work. It's almost like David's on watching Fox News and CNN and he's seeing all the nations and everyone trying to throw off the fetters and the cords of his word and we're seeing Satan's final attempt. You know one of the last promises Jesus spoke to Israel before in Matthew 23? He goes, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus has boxed himself into a prophetic corner saying, Israel will not see me again until the leadership in Israel receives me as their king. So he says, in essence, you're not going to see me until there is a remnant and a leadership that is crying out for that to come. So what is Satan's final attempt? To annihilate the nation, to annihilate every plan of that so that it never happens. And David's going, why? It's insanity. It's not going to work. You can conspire. You can try. You can do backroom deals. Nations can get together. Kings can get together. Major players can get together. You can try to throw off God and his word. But at the end of the day, it's not going to work. It's called insanity. And it's almost like David's watching his news channel going, why, 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 why? And then the scene closes. And in the very next scene, we see this. We're now going to get taken off the horizontal view, and we're going to get taken up into the heavens. Look at what it says in the next verse. It says right here in verse 4, it says, He who sits in the heavens. Everyone say, in the heavens. Say it again. It's time for the church to come up. It's time for the church to come up into the spirit. No, no, hear me. It's time for the church to come up into that Revelation 4 throne room of God, into that place of holy confidence, that place above the storm, that place seated far above, and where we take our rest in Father's house. We take our rest in the Son. And we begin to join the Father in His holy confidence that no matter how many storms, no matter how many conspiracies, no matter how much rage, there is a throne above the rage. And Storehouse, and I'll speak it to Corey, the last five to seven years have been the hardest of my life. There has been great rage from Satan against my inheritance. There has been great rage from Satan against what God has appointed for storehouse. There has been great assault. It's been devils. It's been men. It's been devils. It's been good. It's been bad. God uses the whole storm, and there is rage that's going on. At the end of the day, it is to abort the plan of God and the purpose of God over this house. And we can all say, by God's grace, we're in this room. Who's in here just, that's my new statement. I'm just glad to be here. I don't know about you, but I'm just glad to be here. I tell people that. What are you thinking? I'm, I'm here. 
I'm here. I still cry. I'm tender. I love him. And yet, God in that whole season of of warfare and rage where the enemy did his best assault to abort the plan of God, my job and my journey for a three-year season was learning how to ascend above the storm. How to get out of the shrapnel of all the voices and the accusations and all the rage and all the the torment and learning how to ascend because this is the important thing about Psalm 2. God wanted David to see it on the horizontal level, but he didn't want him to engage in the battle from the horizontal level. you got to get this. He says, I want to teach you and train you that there is a place in the heavens above. And there's a place to where you can get heaven's vantage point over what's been decreed and settled in the heavens so that you can get an agreement with heaven and staying on the horizontal accusation of the devil. He says you will either leave in the accusation room or you will learn to live in the agreement room. Come on. He who sits in the heavens, what's he going to do? He's going to laugh. That's the most terrifying laugh you've ever heard. But I believe God wants to fill the church with heaven's laugh over all the plans of the evil one, both individually, corporately, nationally, globally. Father wants to fill you with the confident, resting laugh of the Father. It's not a trivial laugh, but it's a confident laugh of, thank you, God, my soul is anchored in heaven And that there is something that's been decreed and declared over my life that no devil in hell, no power or principality, no work of the devil, even my own failures can ruin this thing. God's going to bring it forth. That's what we love about David because it's easy to, to do it when it's other people's fault. But many times David had confidence in the plan of God when it was his fault. Psalm 27, it's most likely Absalom. I mean, when you know that what's happening in your life is because of your own sin, and yet this confidence, one thing I've desired of the Lord, this one thing I seek. When you said, seek my face, I said, seek your face, Lord, I will. David had this confidence in God to believe in him, even when it was his failures that got him in the mess. (laughs) That's good, Corey. (laughs) He who sits in the heavens, he laughs. Beloved, it's time for the church to get filled with heaven's laugh. First off, you've got to get in the heavens. You've got, to get off, you've got to get off Facebook and get into debates on Facebook. You've got to tune down Fox News. You've got to tune down political voices. You've got to tune down the noise and the chatter of the horizontal playing field because the days we're moving into is going to take us getting a vantage point, heaven's vantage point. He who sits in the heavens, he laughs. The Bible says he will hold them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. What will the Father speak to nations that are seeking to steal his son's inheritance? And this, I love the different faces of the Father. I love the Father that embraces prodigal sons. I love the Father that runs after me and Hunts me down and beats up everything and takes me. I love the Father, reckless love Father. Breaking stuff, bending stuff, climbing over stuff, shooting stuff. I get emails all the time. People are asking me to come to their conference. They think I'm Corey Asbury. I just love it. <laughs> they think I wrote the reckless love. I just play it on a little bit, yeah. Just send your royalty check, too. (laughs) Um, I love that side of the father. But this father right here is a father that's worked 60 years to build a multi-hundred million dollar company. And his whole dream was handing it to his son. And at the moment of transaction, some thugs break in and try to kill him, kill the son, and to abort the whole plan. And this is a different side of the father that isn't into hugging you. This is a father that says, I've invested way too much into this moment. 
to give all thanks to that man at my right hand, and no power, principality, scheme of man will be able to overthrow what I've promised to my son. Beloved, he burns, and the Father declares over the nations. What is the message that the Father will declare over the nations? Come on, stick with me here. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Do you understand how intense of a statement that is? He's declaring to the nations, you're not going to rule. It's already been ordained. You weren't in the voting process. And I've already given that holy hill of Zion to my son. And I want you to know that right now, seated at Father's right hand, is that man. There is a resurrected man in heaven right now, seated far above everything. There is only one resurrected body in heaven right now. And he is seated at Father's right hand, and he is ruling the nations through intercession. Do you believe that? No, I got two yeses. Y'all need to wake up. This part of the first night, we're going to break it through. It's okay. This is what I do. I break, do we do this. Do you believe that he was born 2,000 years ago? Let's just start there. Are you sure Mary didn't figuratively give birth to him? She didn't. She screamed, and a baby boy came out. His name is Yeshua. Okay? She gave birth to him. Do you believe that that same young man died on the cross for our sins 2,000 years ago? You're telling me a man died on a cross? I believe it too. Do you believe he came out three days later like he said he would? You're telling me a man dead for three days comes out of a grave? Do you believe that he then had a 40-day conference teaching in a resurrected body? I do too, yes. Do you believe that a cloud then came and picked him up and took him up there? You're telling me a cloud picked a man up and took him up there. And that right now, up there is a man. Do you believe that? And do you believe he is seating? At, he is seated right now at Father's right hand. You're telling me up there. In the New Jerusalem, in the throne room of the New Jerusalem, there is a throne, and on that throne sits a man at Father's right hand. Do you believe that? I do too. I just want to know. What did the angels say when they were looking up? They go, why are you looking up? Because <laughs> angels were not used to this. <laughs> A man just got picked up by a cloud. Come on, help us. He goes, why are you looking up? In the same way he went up, so he's coming down again. No, no. Do you understand that's the gospel? A man is going to come out of heaven. A Jewish man who died 2,000 years ago is going to come out of heaven riding on a white horse with a tattoo, faithful and true, all the saints, all the angels, bringing Father's house down with him. Do you believe that? And not only is he ruling from Mount Zion, beloved, he is going to come and he's going to set up his global empire and he will make Jerusalem his oval office from where he will rule the nations of the earth. And the devil's final attempt will be to overthrow that plan to give that plot of land to his son from where he will rule the nations of the earth. This is about Satan's attempt to abort inheritances. And what I love about the Father, it's settled. It's settled. And I declare that over your life, that Jesus, it is settled. What he has promised to Jesus, but what he has promised to you in Jesus. Scene closes. And we're going to see now Jesus standing there. And we're going to see the church. Come on, stick with me here. Let's read Psalm 2, 7 through 9. Let's read this. 
The father just declared, you are my son. And then now he's going to say this. He says in verse 7, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me. You got, you got that? That's the secret of, of intercession right there. That is the foundation of intercession. Is intercession doesn't start with your shopping list. That's the first stronghold that must be broken in intercession. Intercession begins with what have you heard? What have you heard? The Lord has said to me, look at this, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And then the father says, you see those nations over there raging? Ask me for them and I'll make them your inheritance. And the ends of the earth as your possession. You will rule them with the rod of iron and you will dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And I feel like I've come to storehouse because I'm in the same season and we're coming out of this thing together. This is a word from heaven. And I believe that your greatest places of warfare are becoming your greatest places of inheritance. I'm using, you can use desire fulfilled. I'm using inheritance. It's the same reality. And this is the secret. Where do we find Jesus when nations are raging, chaos, confusion, craziness, just everything that could blow up blows up. Where do we find Jesus? We find him in the prayer room. We find him in the prayer room, locking eyes with the Father, hearing from the Father, and then declaring back to the Father what Father has spoken over him. That is intercession. You telling God what he told you to tell him. The Lord has said to me, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, what has God spoken over you? No, no, let's dial it up. What has he spoken over your life? What in the whispers of your heart have you heard God tell you about your life? What dreams have you received from heaven? What prophetic words were things that were quiet within you and then someone thundered it to you and then there's an explosion. What has God started? Because you're only in this room because he said something to you. You're in this room on a Thursday night because he started a conversation. And I believe that God is debunking all of our ideas of intercession to just a few old women off in a corner who are mostly sad and upset most of the time. And he's taking us out of this just someday mode, someday mode, into a place of confidence. And it's not being us trying to get his attention, but it's God through the word and through the spirit trying to get our attention into his perspective so that we can partner with him in our own lives. The Lord has said to me, what has he said to you? What's he spoken over this house? I imagine there's two books of prophetic words, dreams. There's so much folders of prophetic words where God said crazy stuff, which means you didn't come up with it. You're not, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. And the thing inside of you that keeps believing when nothing around you says so is that prophetic word God said something to you and you just can't let it go because it was undeniably God. See, this is the whole purpose why God is restoring prayer rooms. And I want to declare to you, Sunday-only Christianity is over. It's over. I am declaring it. It's over. Church, as we know it, will never be the way it's been. Jesus didn't die for 45 minutes and 20 bucks. He didn't die so that Jesus could be a slice of your pie. He wants to blow your pies up. And he wants to become your pie. He wants to become, I don't. The days are shifting and that's why he's planting gardens back in the middle of our churches. He's bringing us back saying you're not made just to endure a sermon and put on your little checklist. And live at a distance the other six days and 23 hours and 15 minutes of your week. You were made for communion with me. 
You were made for intimacy with me. You were made to get filled with the knowledge of my will. Whisper it back to me. Fill my heart. Walk with me in the cool of the day. That's why the first thing God did in Genesis 1, he planted a garden. And he put the man in the garden saying, this whole kingdom thing, it's going to flow out of priestly intimacy. You're going to commune with me. And out of that place, you will rule the created order. You're made for intimacy with God. And that's why he is restoring gardens. Saying it's not a side room for a few old women. Thank you old women for holding the torch. That's who taught me how to pray. Two 50-year-olds and one 80-year-old woman. We didn't have them playing our favorite songs. It was tongues in a Bible. And if I waited to pray until they played my song, I'd be waiting a long time. He's taking it from a back room ministry, and he's bringing it to the front room. And he's bringing the revelation of intercession. Do you know you've been born again into an intercessor's family? Some of you were born into doctors, lawyers, teachers' families. Through the new creation, you have been born into an intercessor's family. It's in your created DNA. It's in your new creation identity. If he forever lives to make intercession, beloved, what else have you been born into? Well, it's because right now what's happening is all your views are getting dissipated of what you think about intercession. Beloved, this is how we rule. This is how we rule is through intercession. He is a king priest in the order of Melchizedek, which means he's not a king with a devotional life. He's a priest who rules. And that's what's happening. He's bringing us back to the front room. And he's, that was just beautiful, that video right there. I saw those people in there crying. Do you want to know how much those tears cost? They cost a billion dollars. Those tears flowing down that guy's face. I want to tell you that's why he died. It's for tears to wash down your eyes as one kiss of the mercy and love and kindness of God touches your spirit. And when his mercy and love touches you, traffic is settled. The trauma is healed just a little bit more. The fear is settled another day. That's why we got to get prayer rooms because, beloved, we're living in one of the most intense hours of history. And i got to sit on these seats and have prophetic singers sing over me His love and His mercy because that quiets the storms on the inside of me. Zephaniah 2, do you know what Jesus is going to do to the traumatized remnant who has survived the Antichrist? It says in Zephaniah 2, he will rejoice over them with singing. And he will quiet them in his love. I don't know about you, but there's been some days in the last five or seven years where it felt like Dallas, 5 p.m. traffic in my soul. You know what I'm talking about? And all the voices, all the noise, and you can't even find in. And what you see Jesus being able to do when all the chaos is breaking out. We would think Jesus is just running around, just hitting all the stuff. Stop that, stop that. Father's declared it. And Jesus, come. I believe the greatest warfare is to come out of the storm, to ascend to the throne, to lock eyes with Father, and let Father talk first. Let Father talk first. Not you with your list. Him speaking over you. Number one, what's He speaking over you? You are His sons and you are His daughters. Beloved, you cannot get enough of the affections of the Father. You need it every day. You need to hear it every day. Who you are to Him. What He thinks about you. Your belovedness. His kindness towards you. His love. It's what casts out fear. It's what breaks the power of the lies and the accusations. Every lie and accusation is washed away. One whisper from Father dissipates a thousand lies. And that's why God's building corporate expressions because I don't believe, 
I'm grateful for my quiet time with God. I'm grateful for my prayer closet with God. But I need communities. I need people to sing over me when I forget my song. I need you to sing of his love over me when I can't hear it. Or when I'm unable to connect with it. You have said to me, you are my son. Beloved, if Jesus has to hear that from the Father, how much more do we have to hear that from the Father? Because it's not just sonship that gives you acceptance and belovedness. It's sonship that takes you into the elevator of divine perspective. And God then begins to show you. It's not just acceptance. Revelation of the Father is not just acceptance. It's inheritance. Are y'all with me? Inheritance, which means he now wants to show you what he has for you. I got to come down here. I know we're videoing, but I got to get closer. All right, I'll go back. (laughs) I felt that. I felt that thought. Maybe if I move this, it'll feel closer. You are my son. And then he says this. Get a hold of this. You see those nations raging? Come out of the shadows. Come off the battle. Come out of, come out of the way. Come out of the swirl. Stand before me. Because the very places you see the devil raging in your life, it's because he knows more about your destiny than you do. Begin to ask him where you see him raging. Ask the Father where you see the devil raging because that's what he has promised for you. And for me, the devil took his greatest assault to destroy my life, my family, everything that I had. And what was my prayer for two years? I thank you, God, that my inheritance is my family. I thank you that there's generations in the balance because of choices that I'm making in this season. And, Father, I ask you for great-great-grandchildren with the last name Russell. or with I have daughters right now, but whatever. <laughs> Wherever my seed go, the inheritance of my legacy. That because of choices I've made in real time and space and because of my prayers, there's coming godly lineage and a storyline that's going to be played out over the next 500 years. Jesus, ask of me and I will give nations as your inheritance. I will give nations as your inheritance. What is your inheritance? I believe I'm his inheritance. My marriage is my inheritance. My family is my inheritance. Generations are my inheritance. I begin to ask God in a focused, consistent way for 2014 and 15, God, what is my inheritance? Many of you may or may not know our story. We have three beautiful daughters, and for years there was a promised son. In 2012, we had him. We named him Josiah Nash Russell. We named him after Daniel Nash, an intercessor for Charles Finney, who that for a seven-year period would forerun Charles Finney's itinerant revivals and would labor in intercession to open the heavens so that the Word of God would go forth in power. I got so wrecked with his life. We got wrecked with his life. We said, let's have a son. We're going to name him Nash. Several months after Daniel Nash died, Finney's revival stopped. So I said, God, give us a son, and he was born, and for nine months it was glorious. And on March 16, 2013, I'm in London, my wife's seeing family in Arkansas. She puts him down for a nap, and he doesn't wake up. What happens when that which was promised gets shaken to the core, and you lose, and it doesn't make sense when there's the great assault and there's the greatest warfare around the stuff you've heard the most about? When you've received more promises about something or someone, and yet there's the greatest warfare around that, what do you do? And for years, I'm searching for a storyline. God, if you give me understanding, I get above the storm. Get above the storm. That's why Psalm 2, of all passages for the last five years, nothing has helped my heart 
to ascend above the swirl and the rage and the craziness and the chaos and the confusion and to lock eyes with the Father and begin to say, devil, you're going to pay for this. Something big's coming out of this because I'm going to see to it. So I'm going to see to it. And on in May, it was May 2015, so it had been three years ago this season. A friend of mine said a prophetic dream to me, and I knew that this would become my inheritance. He said, in the dream, the church was under siege, and it was like the culture wars have begun, and I really believe in, in the things that have happened over these last five years in the culture wars have actually been used by God to expose the barrenness in the church. And to expose the prayerlessness on the church. It's actually exposed the social media spirit. And it's, it, it's exposed us living at a distance from him. And it's exposed our prayerlessness. And it's turned us more into just all kinds of weirdness. So everybody comes into the church. And then me and my good friend Alan Hood walk in, in the dream. And we come in smiling. And we go, these are the days we've been waiting on. It's almost like we've been being prepared for this. Oh, these are the days we've been waiting on. And in the dream, the spirit of prophecy comes out of my friend. And he says, for every one voice of awakening, I'm raising up seven voices of intercession. And he says it again. For every one voice of awakening, I'm going to raise up seven voices of intercession. See, I believe God is releasing a revelation that regardless of your quote-unquote calling, you have been given such a rare place of access and privilege before the throne of God. And that you have the attention of the king of all the nations. You have his attention and that when you whisper, heaven moves. That revelation is coming to the body of Christ. He goes, for every one voice of awakening, God's raising up seven voices of intercession. Then he says, I've given Lou Engel the Nazarites. He says, but now I'm about to raise up the Nasherites. I'm going to raise up a hidden army of intercessors. Nobody knows their names. Nobody knows their faces. But through their prayers, their whispers, their groans, their tears, their cries, in their own lives, in their cities, in their regions, in their nations, I am going to open up revival. And I'm going to release a historic outpouring of my spirit. And I said, God, that's my inheritance. Give me a hundred million Nasherites across the earth. It's not a biblical phrase. It's a biblical reality. I was asking Tracy, I go, what, what's this season about? She goes, it's about, the re it's about this prayer room. It's about the prayer room. It's about us reconnecting and hearing again from the Father. I believe that we are going to see hidden intercessors arise all over the earth. They're going to break through from religious praying and religious forms of intercession. And they're going to become priests who let him talk first and get into that posture of the Lord has said to me. Do you see in Psalm 2, Jesus only speaks what he heard. Do you know at the end of the day, that's only what you believe is what you heard? The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Ask of me, I'll give nations as your inheritance. I've been stretching myself out over map. Maps, I'm calling forth nations. I'm saying, God, give me 100 million Nasherites in the earth. Bring the nations to us. I got a big old map in my house with Psalm 2 verse 8 on it. That's what this verse means to me. It is the story of the darkest and most difficult hour. And beloved, I believe that we're, we're seeing it globally increase. But I believe that in the, in the middle of a global darkness, we're going to see a global release of light. Because it says you will rule them with a the rod of iron. And you will dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. You know what it looks like when you take a bat to pottery? Do you know in Acts chapter 4? Get a hold of this. In Acts chapter 4, they go, you know what? We're surrounded by Pilate, 
the Gentiles, the Romans, the Jews. And in Psalm 2, when everyone's surrounded, that's when you begin to pray. Psalm 2, now Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders would be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And do you know what happened when they prayed? The place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Psalm 2 is revival praying. And, and then the Lord released the 433, great grace, great power. That is right after that big bang. Prayed Psalm 2. They prayed Psalm 2 because when the devil's raging, that's when you come out, release the rod, God. Release the rod. Dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Destroy every work of darkness, every spirit of witchcraft, sorcery, divination. Break the power of every curse. Beloved, I want you to know something right now. He's breaking the power of witchcraft off the church. He's breaking off confusion. He's breaking off confusion. I want to tell you, me and my, my good friend Alan Hood, who's the associate director in Kansas City, in May 2011, we were beginning to hit some bumps in the road. He was hitting some physical trials. I was beginning to experience some things. And we're praying together in Fredericksburg, Virginia one night. We're in a hotel for a conference. We're praying together, confessing sins to one another and praying for one another. He goes, God, I need to hear from you. He goes to bed that night and he sees a, a real article. He had just written an article in ministry today about the book of Joel standing at the critical juncture. And how God was calling the church to gather for prayer and fasting. And he, he saw the article on a computer screen and then he saw the comment boxes underneath it. And he began to see that the comment boxes were witches and warlocks that were cursing leaders, their marriages, families. And he didn't know if they're real witches and warlocks or are they Christians with high opinions on Facebook. I'll let you discern that. How much stuff are we going to have to talk to Jesus about because of us pushing the sin button? And he's literally seeing that there's real things connected to taking a stand for prayer and fasting. I want to tell you, this is about gathering for prayer and fasting. Solemn assembly saying, God, priority is you. Priority is you. He's seeing the comments and he clicks on one of the boxes and he goes into the box. And he's standing in a warlock's home. He's not even, we don't normally talk this way. This isn't our, our normal way. And he says, he's sitting there and he sees a, a warlock. He has a python around him. He's tatted up. He has pornography everywhere. And he's, and he's sitting there and he's just cursing. He's cursing Alan. And he's releasing curse on it. And Alan hears behind him, Alan, it's witchcraft. And this is all a revelation to him because he had never really thought about people. You think about a spirit, but you don't think about real people whose full-time job is this. And so he hears that, and the next scene happens, and he sees a field of, of youth, young people, thousands of young people. It's the revival we're believing for. And he sees me. I'm so glad I got in this dream. Hallelujah. You just wonder sometimes you're going to make it to the next dream season. <laughs> I'm just glad to be there. And in the dream, me, and some of y'all know the name, Bob Jones, who's a major prophetic father for our movement. I come and I embrace Bob Jones and I hug him and we start declaring Psalm 126, the Lord has done great things for us. It's like when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, but the right after that, he goes, those who sow in tears will reap in joy, bringing sheaves with them. So he's telling me, so he wakes up, he's pumped. He calls me, I'm staying in another room. He goes, Corey, you've got to have breakfast now. I've got to talk to you. i got understanding. Nothing's changed, but i got understanding. <laughs> We're sitting at breakfast. He's telling me the dream. And as he's telling me the dream, a woman comes and taps him on the shoulder and says, are you Alan Hood? He goes, yes, ma'am. She goes, my name's Bonnie Jones, and me and my husband Bob would like to have breakfast with you too. We had never met him. We didn't even know he was there. And our, both of our mouths were hanging open. I was thinking about the sins I repented for last night. Am I clear? What's he going to call out in me? 
house. And you get around a dude like that, you're like, oh, God. This is not my best season, you know, to see him. <laughs> Catch me after a 40-day fast. I want to hang out with you. <laughs> so we go over there. I, I'm from Arkansas, so my first question is, where are you from in Arkansas? <laughs> so we talked about that for a second, 30 minutes from where I'm from. So he talks for about an hour, and I don't know how much you've ever heard from Bob, but most of it was cryptic, a little weird. We didn't understand how, but you sit there and nod, and you act like you do because that's the way you're supposed to act. Yeah, I, I'm tracking with Whatever you're saying, it's just weird. You feel like you're in the twilight zone. I'm still just pinching myself. This is happening. And for about 45 minutes, it was weird. And then he starts shifting. He goes, yep, you boys have been preaching Joel. He goes, yeah. And he goes, I used to only think revival was coming, but now I'm seeing that revival and judgment's coming. It's coming together. He goes, you boys have been preaching Joel. And I see witchcrafts come against you. <laughs> he, says, and he says, I can see the, the claw marks in your neck. He saw it in my neck. <laughs> I go, thanks. He says, I see the python marks are in your neck. He goes, he goes, the witchcrafts come against you. And so Alan steps out of all this talk about this. And he said, uh, Bob, would you pray for us to break this off? Because he had heard stories about Bob praying for pastors and leaders and it just immediately breaking off of him whatever they were under. And he goes, Bob, would you pray for us? And Bob goes, I ain't going to do that religious thing. He goes, what do you think I've been doing for an hour and a half? We go, just talking? <laughs> Check it out. He goes, no, you boys are going to be fine. He says, you see, witchcraft gets smoke in your eyes. And it brings confusion and it makes you see hopelessness about the last season of fruitfulness and it makes you hopeless and despair of future hope and future fruit in the next season. He says, but do you see, there's only one thing that gets the witchcraft out of your eyes and it's weeping. He says, weeping gets the witchcraft out of your eyes. He says, you boys are going to be fine. Your ministries are going to be fine. Y'all just keep weeping. That was his word to us. Weeping gets the witchcraft out of your eyes. You know what I love about that? Because I can weep. I can weep. I can cry my way through it. And every time I cry, my soul gets more tender. I believe again there's something in me in the tears that clings back to him. I get to hear, I get to come out of the, the swirl and the chaos and the confusion of all the other voices and for that moment, I'm hearing his voice again, and I'm believing again, and hope and faith is getting imparted into my spirit the moment that stuff's getting out of my eyes. Now, little did we know how much weeping we would be doing. And I don't even know what made me even tell this story. The biggest point is, I believe he's, one, he's bringing us through. There's been a lot of weeping, and that's Psalm 126, those who sow in tears will reap in joy. And they will bring sheaves with them. And I want to tell you, I believe storehouse is to be bringing sheaves for this next season. I believe there's going to be much grain. I don't even know what this means. Heck, I mean, I'm not being too prophetic about it. You got storehouse and then you think Joseph. I'm thinking Joseph. Psalm, in, in, in September, I had a dream where I told everybody to turn to Psalm 105, but I couldn't find Psalm 105 in my Bible. And for the whole, I was doing the preacher thing, tell your neighbor to turn to Psalm 105. And I can't find it, the whole dream. And I woke up with a deep revelation. I need to find Psalm 105 in my Bible. And there's probably about 100 verses in there, but there's from 16 to 22, it talks about Joseph. And the process of God, it says that God sent a man before them, talking about the nation of Israel. When God sends a person ahead of a people before the people are going to need that person. He sent a man. Go ahead and put Psalm 105, 16 up here. I, I just want to look at this and then I'm going to pray for you. Because I believe this is the season for the storehouse. I know it is for me. 
and I feel like we're coming up leaning on our beloved, 17. <clears throat> Psalm 105, 17. I haven't looked at it in forever, so I gotta look at it. All right. No worries. What's it say, Tracy? Read it to me. Here, let me read it. Oh man, there's some warfare here. He sent a man before them. See, because a lot of us think about when God sends you. All right, good, it's up there. Praise God. It's hitting me, but I, I'm going to hold out a long time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What happened? Because a lot of us think that when God sends you, it's going to be dun 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 dun. How did God send him into his destiny? Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Betrayal. Betrayal. God got Joseph into his destiny through betrayal. Next verse. I mean, every verse is so pregnant, we could do a series on it. Next verse. All right. It was bad. Next verse. That's just, it was bad. Next verse. Until the time that his word came to pass. Get a hold of this. The word of the Lord tested him. When the seminary that you're in is the word you've received. When the word that the Father has spoken over you takes you to seminary. And that word that he's spoken over you, because God will speak a word over you early, and he will see where you're going to be, and that word will test you through every grade to get you into walking into that destiny with humility, meekness, wisdom, understanding and authority you have a limp in your leadership no no this is how he raises up leaders and I believe storehouse is to be a Joseph in this city it's to be a storehouse of understanding of revelation of prophetic I love it calling and getting prophetic words I believe this is just the beginning the lines will be long to receive prophetic words that will shift destinies Keep going. The word of the Lord tested him. Every phrase, unbelievable. Verse 20. I love it. God, the king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. God had him in prison. And then he used people to get him into the mess. And then he will use people to deliver you and to bring you into the next season too. Kings and people in authority. Divine connections and doors. 21. It's something good. He made him Lord of his house. It got really good for Joseph. <laughs> anyway, the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Ask of me and I'll give nations as your inheritance. What has God spoken over you? The word of the Lord. And then David shows up at the end of Psalm 2 and he says, now therefore be wise you kings. Be instructed you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. And he says, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. You know what, I love that about David. David's prophesying. And that's what hit me tonight, Tracy, is you begin to talk about the connection between the prayer and the prophetic. I had never, I've preached that 80 times. And it's the prophetic movement that's going to flow out of the ministry of intercession. God's going to raise up forerunner messengers that will speak to the highest in authority. Kings, judges, rulers, go low and kiss Jesus' feet. He alone, it's the prophetic spirit coming out of the praying people. I just want to pray for you guys tonight. I gave you a mouthful. Heck, I've gone so long. Just go ahead and stand. Let's, I want to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. I was just in here tonight during worship, and I was just feeling inheritance, inheritance, inheritance. 
tree, you can say desire fulfilled is a tree of life. But I declare it over you, Father, everything that you've dreamed, every word that you've spoken over John and Tracy, every word you've spoken over this leadership team, every word that you've spoken over every person in this room, God. For you said it, God. Father, I pray in this season, May of 2018, Father, one, we come out of the chaos, confusion, and craziness of living in the swirl. Many of you don't know another existence than living in the swirl. And I believe that God's wanting to equip you on how to ascend above and to lock in above the storm. And that you can begin to see your inheritance. Intercession isn't twisting his arm. It's the quiet confidence of sons and daughters that declare back to the Father what the Father has already said is yours. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask that God would begin to Fill you. Just open up your hands all over the room. I just want to ask for that spirit of prayer to come upon you. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in Dallas. I thank you for what you're doing here at the storehouse, God. And Father, I ask you, take us up. Take us up. Take us up. I just declare open heaven over you right now to get above the storms and to get out of the chaos, confusion, and craziness and to lock eyes with him who is in the heavens. That's number one. I declare breakthrough over you in Jesus' name. I declare the blood of Jesus over you. I take authority over the spirit of witchcraft and sorcery and divination. I break off all the chatter and accusation and swirl, and I declare the blood of Jesus. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. In Revelation 12, most of us would think the war would alleviate the uh, the struggle. Sometimes our prayers and our warfare brings struggle to our front doorstep just so we can choke out the devil and we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And Father, I pray right now, I declare the release. I thank you for the prophetic spirit. He goes, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. I declare it over us personally, corporately, regionally. Open up and release the prophetic spirit into this region. Open up your voice. God, begin to impregnate us with the knowledge of your will. Begin to fill us with the knowledge of your will. God, I pray that you would just reestablish and break up the fallow ground of this garden. Break up the fallow ground of this garden, God. As we've built the place, now we're going to tend the garden again, God. We're going to tend the garden again, God. I pray to get out the the tillers and to begin to break up the soil of our own hearts. Hosea 10, 12, break up your fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains down righteousness upon you. The Lord has said to me, the Lord has said to me, word of God, explosions. Dream explosions, Holy Spirit explosions. Break the silence in the name of Jesus. And thrust us into the ministry of prayer asking you, number one, I declare over you, sonship, the revelation of your belovedness to flood this house. The revelation of what heaven thinks about you. God, I pray over every person. God, I thank you. Well done. I just pray for the pleasure of Abba. Pleasure of Abba. Pleasure of Abba. Pleasure of Abba. Sonship, you are my son. The rest of sonship and the authority of intercession. Now ask of me and I will give nations as your inheritance. If you've been inspired by this message, we invite you to partner with us by visiting storehousedallas.com forward slash give.